Section 11 of The Strange Visitation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Strange Visitation by Marie Corelli. Section 11. And Sir Slasher Cut-Em-Up walked softly out of the room, followed by his colleague. Nurse Dratemall, with a casual glance at the bed where Josiah McNason lay, settled her cap more coquettishly on her head and tripped after them. They're gone, said the goblin then, sliding down from the pillow and sitting astride on Josiah's recumbent body. But Nurse Dratemall will soon be back. I don't want her back, groaned McNason, making an attempt to draw up the bed quilt in order to cover his eyes, in which effort he did not succeed. I don't want anything. Leave me alone. Sorry, I can't oblige you, replied the goblin. I can't leave you alone until you leave yourself alone. And Nurse Dratemall must come back to attend to her duties. She's got a lot of things to do to you. McNason peered over the extreme edge of the bed quilt. A lot of things to do to me? He echoed whimperingly. What? What will she do? She will wash you first, said the goblin briskly. All over. Oh, such a nice wash, made of carbolic disinfectant. And you will be so clean outside you. Josiah closed his eyes shudderingly. And then you will be put into a new flannel nightshirt, went on the goblin. And you will perhaps be allowed a cup of hot milk or beef tea. And when you're nice and warm and clean and cozy, Nurse Dratemall will come and tell you to prepare for your end. No, no, cried McNason. I'm not ill, and I'm not ready. You are ill, declared the goblin firmly, and never mind about not being ready for your end. Nurse Dratemall will make you ready. She'll tell you what a very serious and expensive matter it will be to slice you up scientifically tomorrow, and she will ask you where your checkbook is. I won't tell her. I won't, shuddered McNason. Oh, yes, you will. She'll get it out of you, and then you'll write a big check for Sir Slasher Cut-Em-Up, and another for the matron of this happy home, and for Dr. Chokomoff, and for everyone else who wants a fee for sending you into the next world, and then, then you'll be allowed to sleep if you can, and tomorrow, tomorrow. Here the goblin paused. Josiah raised himself up on his hard pillow and looked at it with appealing eyes. Not so very long ago, it went on presently, in a kind of sing-song monotone, a man I knew went to a home, something like this, only not quite so up-to-date and expensive. He was a bold, kindly, genial creature, fond of life and life's pleasures. Something went wrong with him, and he consulted the doctors. They told him he had an internal ailment, but they could not tell whether it was malignant or not, till they had, so to speak, opened him up. He felt strong and hopeful, and consented to the operation. The surgeons did their work, and how they did it, of course, only they could tell. But it was, according to their own report, successful. In 48 hours, the warm-blooded personality of the man that had talked, smiled, and jested with his own danger was a mere lump of cold, stiff clay. He had relatives, oh yes, he had children for whom he had worked all of his life. What did they do? 
why they allowed his body, which had so lately pulsated with love for them all, to be taken away from the home in which he died, and laid in a dismal vault without a single soul to keep watch by it, at night, or say a prayer. The world is growing callous concerning the dead, you know, and they don't keep corpses in homes. When a man dies under an operation, he must be removed by his family at once. In this case, the poor fellow was removed to a chilly city mortuary. His children, warm and comfortable, ate food as usual and discussed the funeral business. Down in the cold and darkness lay the once animated, cheery, generous-hearted man, alone, all, all alone, shut out from the movement and the light of natural things, with no loving eyes to keep watch by his mortal remains, no tender hands to lay flowers on his lifeless breast, and yet sentimentalists talk about family love and home affections. Oh, hoo-roo! And the goblin actually had tears like sparks of fiery dew in his eyes. You ought to be glad you've got no children, McNason. You've got money instead, and money will enable you to have your body carried home grandly to your country seat by special train. You can be laid out in state if you like, provided you give the order before Sir Slasher Cut-em-up arrives tomorrow. Candles burning all around you and wreaths on your coffin. And it's all done for money. And you can have a most expensive funeral, a beautiful mausoleum, a marble monument, and a lying epithet. All for money. Money's a great thing. McNason. And you've got it. Oh, Beelzebub. You've got it, but you've got nothing else. At this juncture, McNason suddenly sat up in bed. Yes, I have, he said with a kind of trembling eagerness. I've got something else. I've got you, and I want, I want to make a friend of you. The goblin opened its round eyes so wide that they threatened to fall out. Oh, you do, do you? It queried doubtfully. That's odd. Now what put that into your head? I don't know, I don't know, stammered McNason agitatedly. But I think, I feel, you don't really want to do me any harm. Look here, get me out of this. Take me away, take me away, take me home. The goblin took off its conical cap and examined the interior of that headgear with critical gravity. Its hair, in the all-round style, seemed blacker and stickier than ever, and its features worked into the most alarming contortions. Take you home, it echoed. What? Before Nurse Dratamal comes back? Yes, yes. And Josiah wrung his hands imploringly. Take me away at once. But you're ill, said the goblin. You're very ill. I'm not. You are. You've got a cancer. I haven't. You have. It's called selfishness. It's eating your life away, poisoning your blood, rotting your soul. I'll get rid of it. I'll, I'll cut it out myself. And in his excitement, McNason caught hold of the goblin's claw and pressed it fervently. I will, I will. Only take me out of this. Give me a chance. You're feverish too, continued the goblin severely. Your temperature has gone up to the very highest point of fraudulent philanthropy. I know, I know, but it will all be right. Only let me get home and you shall see, you shall see. Here his voice ebbed away into a kind of choked sob. And I'm not sure that you haven't got eczema, pursued the goblin. Your snobbish hankering after a peerage will probably break out in a rash all over you. It won't, said McNason. 
It shan't. I'll, I'll do whatever you tell me. Oh, will you really, though? And the goblin sniffed the air with his terribly plastic nose very dubiously. Do you mean it? Or is it all a funk? And only because you want to get away from Sir Slasher cut him up? I don't believe in deathbed repentances. It's not. It's not a deathbed repentance, wailed McNason. I don't want this to be my deathbed. I want to die in my own home. Ah, so does Willie Dove, said the goblin. Perhaps you can understand now why his wife doesn't want to send him to a hospital. McNason shuddered. Time was flying fast, he thought. And that cruel-looking nurse Dratimal would be coming back immediately. And with an imploring cry, he held out his arms to the goblin. Ah, be good to me, he moaned. Take me home. I'll promise anything. Anything. It's easy to promise, said the goblin. Anyone can do that. But will you keep your promises? For instance, will you think of some other few things besides yourself? McNason lifted his trembling hands in the fashion of one invoking the gods. I will, I will. You are a man of money, pursued the goblin. And with all the money you possess, will you think of poverty? Of the thousands and thousands of human beings made of the same flesh and blood as yourself? who perish every year for lack of food, of infants starving, of patient genius toiling for mere pence, of delicate women working their lives away in order to provide sustenance for their children? Will you think of all these things and help them when you can, not grudgingly nor patronizingly, but with a full heart and a generous spirit? Faintly, as a bride at the altar, McNason murmured, I will. You are a man of luxury, went on the goblin. Will you think of crime? Of the woeful sins which wretched men are driven to commit through want and misery? Of the prisons crowded with branded human creatures who in nine cases out of ten owe their guilt to the evil persuasions of others more cunning, more treacherous, and powerful than themselves? Of unhappy mothers gone mad with despair who have murdered their children rather than see them die of hunger? of girls, once innocent, betrayed, ruined, and deserted by the villainy and cruelty of such devils in the shape of men that even hell might close its doors against them. Will you think of crime? And thinking of it, will you remember that it is often the sight of a man like you, over-prosperous, over-proud, that helps to drive the poor into the labyrinths of envy, hatred, drink, murder, and suicide? Will you think of crime? And do your best to fight against it with all of your influence, all your power, and all your money? And at this juncture, the goblin looked positively terrific. McNason quailed before its gorgon eyes and shivered. I, I will try, he murmured. The goblin rose on its skeleton toes and lifted its skeleton arms. Its voice grew loud and shrill. You are a man of commerce and calculation, it said. Will you think of war? Think of a nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The beginning of sorrows. Think of widows and orphans. Think of thousands of dying and dead men. Of human blood springing hot to heaven and clamoring for vengeance. Of burning cities and wrecked ships. Hark! Listen to the rush of waters and the roll of guns. And now, as the goblin spoke, there came a distant booming sound upon the air. 
mingled with the measured tramp of many marching feet and hundreds of male voices strongly uplifted in defiant chorus. We sweep the seas, our glorious flag unfurled, from north to south, from east to west, shines o'er the world. Our cannon's bellowing thunder roars with the roaring waves, for Britain's foes, wild ocean holds, nothing but graves. We sweep the seas on waters far and near, our signals flash and write in fire, our meanings clear. No other land, no other race, can match our British men. They've won a thousand fights before, they'll win again. We sweep the seas, we rule the restless foam, we struggle not for place or pelf, we fight for home. Loud let the shout of victory ring on the favoring breeze, down with the foe ten fathoms deep, we sweep the seas. War, said the goblin, tossing its arms wildly as the sounds died away. War, accursed yet triumphant. War. Think of it. You, with your millions. Can you, will you think of it without speculating in the widespread misery it involves? Without making more money on the traffic in blood? Without lending yourself and your wealth to wicked contracts by which you steal from your country's government and line your own pockets? Can you be true to the land in which you live? Can you, will you boldly refuse to sell material assistance for your own personal advantage to your country's foes? Lashed into a fit of nervous desperation, Magnason almost shouted, I can, I can, and I will. Whereupon the goblin put on its conical cap. You are coming around, Magnason, it observed encouragingly. You are really coming round. I think you are better. Your temperature is lower, nearer the normal principle. Principle is an excellent pulse. It's firm and steady, and keeps the whole body going wholesomely. Very few have it nowadays, and as a natural consequence, the statistics of insane and diseased persons show an alarming increase. Now, this an oblique but not unfriendly leer, are you sure you feel well enough to go home? Sure, sure, and Josiah began to scramble out of bed in his excitement. I'll get my clothes on in a minute. Won't you wait for Nurse Dratamal? suggested the goblin with a chuckle. She'll be back directly. No, no, no. Here his voice faltered and died away as he discovered, to his terror, that he had no power to put his feet to the floor, nor could he reach his clothes. Oh, I'm so helpless, he wailed, so feeble and helpless. Oh dear, oh dear, what shall I do? Have a split soda, said the goblin. In this dear sweet home, it's only sixpence. But if you put a bee in it, it's two shillings. Half mad with impatience, Josiah wriggled about in the bed, turning his imploring eyes on the rentless goblin, who, perched on the quilt, was beginning to elongate itself in the most leisurely manner. I suppose you want to keep Christmas now, it remarked presently and you're in a hurry to begin. Is that it? Yes, yes, that's it, stuttered Josiah. You'll take me, won't you? You'll take me. The goblin waved its claw, and in another instant, Josiah Magnason stood erect, fully clothed, gazing fearfully up, up ever so high, at the indescribable face and form which now loomed like a monstrous bat above him. So tall had it suddenly grown, and so thin, so terrible were its goggle eyes, 
so enigmatical its wide grin that anxious as it was to depart from his present place of torture, he shook like a leaf in a stiff breeze at the prospect of another airship voyage with such a fearsome skipper of the winds. One Timothy two said the goblin, and its voice seemed to fall from some magical pinnacle reared miles above the clouds. One Timothy two, grace, mercy, peace, time to keep Christmas, Christmas Day, and Christmas bells. Come along, come along, home for the holidays, off we go. Stooping forward like a giant cloud from the sky, the goblin whisked off the shrinking, shuddering millionaire as easily as a gust of wind whisked off the broken branch of a tree, and spreading its great wings, whirled with a wild hoo-roo-oo-oo out into the starry spaces of the night. End of section 11